0: Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chiga Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers through the years. Uh, we just recently talked about St. Bridget of Sweden, Uh, a co-patroness of Europe. And well, uh, we have an opportunity to talk about the other patroness of Europe uh, this evening, and that is one St. Catherine of Siena, who by all accounts, if it is not St. Teresa of Avila or if it is not St. Therese of Lisieux, might be the most recognizable female saint. So I'm really excited about engaging St. Catherine of Siena, this great 14th century thinker, and uh, doing so with John O'Hare, who is in studio with me. John, great to have you with me another evening.
1: Thank you, Joe, great to be here as always.
0: So uh, St. Catherine of Siena, like I just said, John, clearly one of the great female saints. Uh, There is a lot to talk about, as there always seemingly (laughs) is with uh, the figures we talk about. One thing that we really want to make sure we draw out this evening is that, you know, saints come from a very particular historical context. They become saints because of, yes, their holiness, because of, yes, their embrace of truth, for all of these things, but also because of the way in which they say yes to the very thing that God called them in their particular time. And I really want to emphasize this, because this time, this century, when she lived, there's a lot going on, (laughs) Uh, John, a lot going on that you can't even begin to appreciate um, St. Catherine of Sina until you understand what was going on during that time.
1: She was born in the Feast of the Annunciation in 1347 and died April the 29th, 1380. She lived for 33 years. Mm. Now there are three doctors of the church: Teresa uh, of Avila, Teresa of Lisieux, and Catherine of Siena.
0: We do have a fourth now. Remember, Saint Hildegard of uh, Bingen. Yes, Saint oh, Hildegard you know, of Bingen. We did a yes. show on her, and I yeah. forgot. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Okay, yes. well, uh, Saint Hildegard of Bingen. Yeah. Okay.
1: Now, of these women, it seems to me that Saint Catherine was not only very holy. Her, her main book, "The Dialogues of Catherine of Siena," is mainly a spiritual uh, a book. But she was also involved in, shall we say, politics—a lot of church politics, but politics—and it was a rough time that, that she lived in. Mm-hmm. Now she was born in 1347. It was that year that the Black Plague broke out, and it mm-hmm. lasted for two years to 1349. It did not affect her, but it wiped out one third of the population of Europe. And it was—I mean, it's like not—I mean, there were there were plagues after this, but I mean, this was the this two years was terrible. And then years later, it would come back for a little bit, but never as bad as it did that that, for those two years. Okay. Now, she was the 21st, 24th person born of her parents, and she was a twin. And the other...
0: Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah, the (laughs) other young lady who
1: came out died shortly after birth, but Catherine survived and did quite well. She was born to -to well-to-do parents. Her dad was a well-to-do dyer. Uh, I guess he worked on fabrics and colored Mm -hmm. them. And her mother was the uh, daughter of a uh, a poet, an Italian poet, and uh, she was holy from the beginning. She, at, at age six, she would uh, climb up the stairs saying a Hail Mary on each one of her steps. That's mm-hmm. pretty good, mm-hmm. and she kind <laughs> of uh, dedicated herself to holiness, and as time went along, the parents said, now we, we have to get married, and you're Nice looking. You have beautiful hair, and so let's start to dress appropriately, which she did. And then she said no. Then there was kind of rebellion, and then she cut her hair. Ooh, okay. Now, <laughs> mom and dad are upset. Yeah. <laughs> they took away her private bedroom, and she had to live with the help, shall we say, and do menial tasks. But she was not going to become a socialite, and uh, so they let her, they, they let her go her way, and they let her, uh, you know, continue to live in the house and and to pray as, as she wanted to, to pray. Now. At an early age, about six years old, she had a mystical experience. I'm not sure what it was, but it was a mystical experience. Mm -hmm. And later on, around Shrove Thursday of 1366, when she was 19 years old, she had another mystical experience in which the Blessed Virgin appeared to her, and she feels that she was espoused to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And she had a wedding ring on her finger, which only she could see, but she was... Quite adamant that it was there mm-hmm. now uh, after this uh, her her parents are allowing her to do pretty much follow her spiritual life. She becomes a third order Dominican and she is received into that order. but the Dominicans, because she 's attracting uh she's she's now leaving her home and going out into uh, Siena society by the way, her home in Siena is beautifully preserved mm. If you ever go there yeah. it 's right there and it's it 's intact mm-hmm. So um, anyway, uh, she has a family, and and she's a third order Dominican, and they assign a man to kind of be her confessor, a man named Raymond of Capua. Now, he's now Blessed Raymond of Capua, and this guy went on to become general order, uh, general of the Dominican order, so he was a sharp cookie. Yes, yes. And he, he respected her and liked her very much and thought she was the real thing because... Catherine might might have seemed to be I hate to use the word kind of like a hippie you know she was a little bit out there a mm-hmm. little bit on eccentric the, uh, yeah. right exactly yeah. she was kind of an eccentric so they wanted to kind of the Dominicans who had a very good reputation mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that she was on board with the yeah. major stuff and he he, he uh, blessed uh, blessed Raymond uh, was she was mm-hmm. and he, mm-hmm. he kind of became a disciple of her yeah okay. So she goes, and she's pretty good at healing feuds. Okay, this is good. And she's becoming something of a celebrity, a, a spiritual celebrity in the Italian area. And she wanders uh, a little bit farther away. Uh, she gives talks to in various cities uh, around. And um, in Pisa, around February 1375, she receives the stigmata, she says, mm-hmm. now upon her death, on the examination of her body, they found, e- example, uh, they found uh, a stigmata on her. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it was known during her lifetime, although she told this to Blessed Raymond. Now she starts to get a little bit into politics, and she tells Pope Gregory Eleventh that he needs to start another crusade against the Turks. And at this time, we have what's called a Babylonian captivity because the popes are living for about seventy plus years in Avignon. Mm-hmm. Now, Gregory the Eleventh would be the last of those popes, and uh, you know it's kind of uh, this was a real problem mm-hmm. in at this time. Uh, the politics was the reason: France versus the Holy Roman Empire versus other people who were interested in the peninsula of Italy. Yeah. And the uh, Pope himself had papal states, and there was there was a it was a big mess. So anyway, she at this point decides to uh, she she gets involved uh, with the Pope over the Crusade, and then uh, there's a war, kind of a, a lot of problems going on in Florence. She goes to Florence. There's murders going on. People are threatening her, and uh, the Pope is involved in struggles in Florence. And Florence sends her. Avignon is their representative, so she goes to Avignon and she meets with Pope Gregory the Eleventh.
0: And, and Gregory Eleventh, when he's elected for our listening audience, it's important to remember this. This is a young French priest, right? I mean, he was elected at the age of 42, wow. and you had talked about St. Catherine of Siena died at, at the age of 33, of course, our Lord's age. She is a young woman for all intents and purposes, as we might mm-hmm. think of them today. To think about a pope being the age of 42 is a pretty yeah. extraordinary thing, but I think this kind of plays itself out.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the Babylonian captivity, it, when they were all in Avignon, I forget, there was about six popes, and they were all French.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And they
1: were all good workaday popes. I don't know if any of them are canonized. Maybe one of them is, but they were all—there good. There was no scandal. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a little aside— they kept immaculate records. Every one of their appointments is still, uh, there are files yeah, of it in the yeah. Vatican Library. So yeah. uh, anyway, uh, Gregory the Eleventh talks to her now. I The anecdote is, you can correct me, uh, Father Groschel yeah. was the source of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes to see him, and she gives her a polite, hello, how do you do, and bows, kisses his ring. And then her first real words of politics were, <laughs> you stink, and you could be smelled all the way in Italy. I, mean, I don't know if that happened. <laughs> yeah, with the of waving shoulders. of
0: the finger, as oh, the story oh, is told. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. well, all
1: right. Well, anyway, he does return. To, she, she arrives there on June the 18th, 1376. And the two of them leave on September the 13th, 1376. So in about, uh, let's say, three months, he decides he is going to leave. Now, they both leave. She goes by land, he goes by sea. And he does return to Italy amidst a lot of consternation. Mm-hmm. And he's in Italy for several years. And then Gregory XI uh, passes away, dies. Mm-hmm. And he is replaced by Urban VI. And Urban the Sixth is not going to return to France. And he's uh, not the most politic of persons. And people want to replace him. And she is just kind of nuts. She goes to Rome. She fasts <laughs> seriously. I think she only consumes the daily Yes. Drink. That's it. No water. For, for an
0: extended period of time. Yes, yeah. for an
1: extended period of time. She then is struck with a stroke around uh, close to her death. And then the stroke, a uh, second stroke leaves. her almost paralyzed, and she dies on mm-hmm. April the 29th at the age of 33. And this was the year uh, 1380.
0: Amen. I think, uh, among so many other things, something to highlight here, John, is that her strong personality certainly was who she was as creating the image and likeness of God. I mean, there was just something about, well, that's what made her St. Catherine of Siena. But for our listening audience, it's really important for them to understand that she did what she did because of her love for Jesus Christ, her love for truth, her love for the church. She saw the corruption. And I really want to emphasize this why, because we live in the year 2015, and we have to allow God to work through us as instruments of peace, yes, but also as instruments of truth. I go back to 1 Peter 3.15, John. You know, we we give reasons for the hope that is inside of us, reasons uh, why we live the way we live, and uh, we do so in reverence and gentleness. But we do give reasons, <laughs> right? Yeah. We let people know why we live the way we live. And when people are rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to engage them. Are they going to accept the message of Jesus Christ? Maybe. We see all throughout the book of Acts, John, Paul preaching in these towns. Some people accept him, and we hear more about those folks, right, in the book of Acts. Some people reject him, but he gives them the opportunity as he engages them in dialogue, as he reaches out to them. He does so certainly in prayer. He does so, offering up his suffering for them, as he talks about so beautifully, but he does so, and that's what's so important. St. Catherine of Siena says, you stink. Why? Well, that was St. Catherine of Siena. Do we go and do that? Well, you have to take that up before God. But the point is, she uh, went to Avignon for a reason, because she saw within the church herself it being persecuted, And we see this today. We have to be willing, in humility, in gentleness, and reverence, to, according to who we are before God, be reminded of the greatness of her courage, and that her courage, her fortitude, that Latin fortissimo, strength, her strength came from her love for Jesus Christ, her love for truth, and her love for the church. And Nothing got in the way of that. I mean, you said she was fasting. She fasted for an extended period of time. It is mind-boggling how long she fasted on the Eucharist alone. Mind-boggling. But this was her love for Jesus Christ. You know, she's also, John, regarded as a mystic. You talked about the the division that she had. And there's one account recorded by um, Blessed Raymond of Capua, and this one uh, strikes me and he, he passes this on um, with her permission, uh, that um, upon seeing our Lord, Jesus appeared to her holding in his holy hands a human heart, bright red and shining. And as St. Catherine tells the story, he opened her side and put the heart within her, saying, dearest daughter, As I took your heart away from you the other day, now you see I am giving you mine, so that you can go on living with it forever. St. Catherine could rightfully say, (laughs) echoing St. Paul in Galatians 2.20, that it is uh, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Fascinating, yeah. Yeah, and that is what lies literally speaking <laughs> in the heart of St. Catherine of Siena, Christ's heart.
1: She was a third order Dominican. She was not a nun in a convent, yeah. which I think is important because... Good point. Good clarification, uh, if she John. she wasn't in a convent, yeah. the, uh, the abbot, whoever was in charge, would she would have to obey. Mm-hmm. She was, she believed in the, Dominic, in the Dominican spirituality, but she was, shall we say, a little bit freer to go about. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, Benedict XVI has some wonderful things to say about third orders in his uh, life of Christ, uh, particularly Beatitude number one. Mm. Blessed mm. are the poor of heart, for they shall inherit. This was her. Christ and the Church was her life, mm-hmm. and and that was, that was her obedience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well if there's one truth we have hit here on this radio program Seeds of Truth, John, um, it is that uh, most salient truth that comes to us from the first Beatitude. Why? Because it is so important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's always to remember, John, that uh, the Greek word there for spirit is pneuma. What does that sound like? Well, where do we get the word lung, right? (laughs) We hear the word pneumonia. What's going on with pneumonia, right? Pneuma, Uh, wind, breath, spirit. The idea there is blessed are those who long for God, the same way our lungs long for air. Blessed are those who need God the same way our lungs need air. You see, that was her life. I mean, it was a state of being. This is why this first beatitude is the foundation to the whole Sermon on the Mount. What's always so fascinating to me isn't what he said But maybe what he didn't say, because he first didn't say, John, blessed are those who serve the poor, give alms, so on and so forth. He talked about that later in the Sermon on the Mount. But he said, first, blessed are those who effectively long for God the same way our lungs long for air and need air. You see, because it sets us on the path of holiness, To have that disposition uh, like that of a child. It's Mary. Mary is the icon of the First Beatitude. In so many ways, St. Catherine of Siena imitates Mary, that interior attitude of faith. You know, just being disposed to respond to God at moment's notice. Mm -hmm. Again, 2015, God is asking something great of you. What is that one thing? We're always looking to do so many things. Well, the right thing isn't always the many things, but the one thing. And the one thing is what God has you doing today. Mm -hmm. And we have to inquire about that. St. Catherine of Siena was inquiring, John, what can I do for Jesus Christ today? What can I do for the church today? Even if that means (laughs) getting to Avignon, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what God was asking from her. And certainly she had, again, the fortissimo, the strength, the courage to do so. You had mentioned earlier, John, and I want to make sure we touch upon this, uh, the plague. While she was born at the time of the plague, and it didn't affect her directly, it certainly directly affected oh, the Catholic Church, yes it did. Um, wiping out priests, wiping out churches. So she lives during this time period, and this affects her. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, this yes. begins to form um, how she sees the world. And so her faith was, Oh, well, you said it, she's praying Hail Marys at a very young age while going up steps. And let me say something to this. There's a tendency for us to do one of two things. Tell the story of a saint and embellish it, or tell the embellishment of the story and at the same time saying... We have to make sure the saints are real, and then we um, diminish some of the greatness of the saint. We have to be able to tell the story for what the story is, right? If she's a young lady praying Hail Marys, it's not to speak to a woman who is, you know, so far off and and, and out of of touch with the world. No, it's to speak of a woman who at a very young age simply was... uh, a girl of faith, <laughs> and God used that. And there's a tendency, I know, for some of us, Sean, and I've talked with a number of people about this, they see the stories of some of the saints as something they cannot relate to, or um, they relate to them, and they and then they, they want to become this person that they're not. And so there has to be a balance there when we tell these stories. And I, again, want our listening audience to appreciate that there is something always extraordinary about the saints, because they are human persons living in the ordinary life doing extraordinary things. That's what makes a saint saint. That ultimately is what leads to holiness. To be holy is to will the good of the other, in effect, because that love is what ultimately sets us apart, and that's what we seek to model in these saints.
1: Yeah, when I go over the lives of some of these saints, I think to myself, well, I couldn't do that. Well, no, wait a minute. You're not asked to do it, John. What you're asked to do is to be a saint today in whatever your circumstances call you to do. And take it as extraordinary as you can. I don't plan to phone up the pope and say, <laughs> <laughs> you want to have it? No, but I, I want to do... <clears throat> What God and I want to try to listen and do what He says. And I mean, Patrick McAdrid says, "Let's be a saint." That's what we're all called to. And yes, Mm -hmm. but when I read her life, she—I mean, she was both bold and holy and Mm. poor of spirit at the Mm -hmm. same time. I think, wow.
0: Yeah, there is there is a uniqueness to Saint Catherine of Siena, and I think you just said it. She's bold and humble. And I don't know, John, if we always connect those two. But see, again, this speaks to 1 Peter 3.15. And again, this is what's before us in 2015. We need to be bold, but we need to do it with a gentleness, with a humility. Um, And sometimes, sometimes we have to be firm. We call upon the Holy Spirit We ask the Holy Spirit to form and inform our conversations, and if we can be in that space, I think we'll be okay, and that's where our peace will be.
1: She's a 13-year-old girl, and her parents want her to become what girls become, and that's not her vocation. And she Mm -hmm. tries to go along, and she realizes, I can't. Do this. Yeah, you got to let me go, Mom. No, you're gonna. Do, and then she cuts her hair. Well, okay. Now, now we have a family issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but she's got to do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, she didn't go out and phone the Pope now, but she's she is. I'm called to be a a holy girl of God. Mm-hmm. And that. And, and you know, she didn't go and do anything bad to her parents, but she was going to follow her call.
0: Mm-hmm my wife and I were talking recently about our own children, our four children, and our oldest is nine, soon to be 10. And, you know, you read the stories of saints, and there's some great saints who were well on their way at a very young age. And we were talking about just, you know, as parents, you do everything you can do to set them on the path of holiness by the grace of God, go her and I, right? But we have to be able to let go. We have to be able to understand that, Yes, we are His parents and the parents of our children, but they belong to God. Yes. Yeah, and and, and we are instruments for God in the raising of our children, and we have to appreciate the way in which God is going to use them and and marvel at it. You know, raise them um, according to the virtues uh, that we should be raising them, um, but allow God to do great things and not get in the way, and as a parent... You know, you th- you think you know best, but sometimes God says, you know, hey, it's time. Yeah. <laughs> it's time. I, I know um, my sister, John, we've talked about this before. I have a sister who's a sister, so yeah, biologic, biological I sister, sister a lot, who's yeah. a Carmelite sister. She joined at a pretty young age, and she's had other sisters who have joined at a very young age, similar to St. Therese, actually. And you know you listen to their stories, and it's hard for their parents to let them go. It's saintly itself. In fact, oh, by the way, St. Tress's parents are going to be canonized. They were able to let them go. It really is something we have to be present to, and, and a point to draw out as um, certainly there was this dynamic going on between Catherine and her parents. Uh, one of how many exactly 20- twenty? She was the
1: twenty fifth. Well, she's yeah. the twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I walk into I walk into a store today, John, and I have four kids, and everyone tells me, "Well, you're done, right?" <laughs> well, <laughs> with four kids, I mean, come on. Anyhow, <laughs> well, John, uh, looking up at the clock, and we we have only a minute or so left. I don't know if you had any closing thoughts with uh, uh, Saint Catherine of Siena.
1: It was just her tenacity and holiness that I've always admired about her. Mm. She uh, she wasn't rude, but she was certainly purposive. And I think having a, um, Blessed Raymond of Capua as kind of uh, someone whom everybody had a respect for, yes. say, this woman is the yes. real McCoy. Yeah. I mean, he, he knew holiness when he saw it. And here she was, and she stuck to what, she felt god was calling her to and that story of the heart is fascinating yeah. yeah and i mean she she lived that way
0: amen and and to the heart my closing thought is is this you know this theme of um, the bride yes and she really took that up you know yeah. christ was her beloved and uh, ultimately as saint john the evangelist reminds us we are all called to be Christ's beloved. And so when we read the writings of St. Catherine of Siena, I would really encourage our listening audience to read St. Catherine of Siena. You will get this language that is rich with uh, bridal imagery. And we are called to enter into that because, especially as Catholics, John, when we receive the Eucharist, god is entering into this nuptial union with our very souls and we need to appreciate this uh, for what it is because it is the great gift it is the great gift uh to some extent we all wear that wedding ring (laughs) we might not see it but anyhow let's close the word of prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus